I would invite you to turn with me to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. We are here on January 2nd, the second day of this new year, 2022. New years are kind of a funny thing. And um, on one hand, uh, they, they seem to me to be just another day. In fact, I was talking to Brother Gary Allen this morning, and um, I asked him if he stayed up till midnight, and he laughed, and he said, oh no, he said, it's just another day. And I suppose Brother Gary has seen more New Year's than I have, and uh, so I'll trust him on that and defer to, to his wisdom uh, concerning the New Year. Uh, but, but I do think that a New Year offers us uh, a certain opportunity that we do well to take advantage of. Uh, I want us to understand that time is a gift from God. God has no need of time. He's eternal. What need does an eternal God have of time? He's never late for anything. He, he never has to worry about His next appointment. He never has to worry about what's on His schedule for next week or next month or, or plan out something in advance. He, he's not bound to, to, to time like we are. So time has been given to us as a gift. And in fact, it was a gift that was given to us from the very beginning. Haven't you read in the creation account how the evening and the morning were the first day? God has given to us the gift of time that we can set in order and number our days. We live here in this earthly body, in this temporary existence. We live a linear life. All of us have a date on which we were born and we go through life. We have milestones and occasions and things that we mark. Sister Brianna is having one of those tomorrow. That's the last I'll say about it, I promise, Sister Brianna. But, but we have these milestones that we track throughout our lives. And so for that reason, God has given us time that we might be able to do that. We have minutes and we have hours and we have days and we have weeks and we have months and we have years. And it's good for us to acknowledge those things and to order our lives according to them. And so as we turn the calendar to a new year, it is appropriate for us to use this gift that God has given us to do some reflecting upon the year that was and to look with hope to the year that will be. And so as we do that, I want us to look to a certain thing, a couple of certain things here as we look to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And in particular, I want you to consider, as you would look back on 2021, what things you would have done different. If you're like me, you look back to, to last year, and there are some things that you probably would have done different if you had the opportunity to do so. We have regrets in life. And I know sometimes, and, and it's popular to say that people have no regrets, but I'll just be honest, when somebody tells me they have no regrets, I would acknowledge to them that they're, they're not telling the truth. There's always things that we would like to do different if we had the opportunity to do them different. Things that we would like to change, how we acted or how we behaved or, or what we did or, or what we said to somebody. We all have those things that if given the opportunity, we would change. And so we can reflect upon those and we can learn from those things. 
But then as we look ahead, we can also challenge ourselves, which is what I would have you do today, that 2022 would be a year with no regrets. Let's look to Philippians chapter 3. Begin reading with me at verse 1. And uh, for the sake of time, I will stop at verse 16, but w- would encourage you to go on and read the full uh, third chapter of the book of Philippians here uh, as you'd have the opportunity to do so. Begin, begin reading with me in verse 1, Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul writing. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. Let me stop right there just to kind of recap what Paul is doing here at the onset of, of chapter 3. Paul is writing and he has thanked them earlier, the, the church at Philippi, for their support and he's encouraged them in some different ways. And, and now here as he's entered into chapter 3, he is issuing a warning towards them, to them concerning Judaizers concerning those that would come in and they would say that they were Christians, but in fact their conduct was consistent with Pharisees or consistent with with Jews that were trying to find their salvation in the law. So he says, beware of them. He calls them the concision. And he's making a specific difference between the concision and the circumcision. Now make no mistake, the people that he's talking about believed in circumcision. These self-pronounced Christians that were still practicing according to the law of the Jews, they were being, they believed in being circumcised. And they saw circumcision as some outward work that was indicative of being righteous. They saw this outward work of the flesh and circumcision as being necessary for salvation. But Paul is calling them the concision. He is actually using kind of a, a way of speech here in which he's just saying that they mutilate themselves. He's saying they believe in circumcision as though somehow it makes them righteous, but all that they are actually doing is mutilating themselves. He says we are actually the circumcision. Why? Because we've been circumcised in the flesh? No, but because we have circumcision of the heart. And he's saying that we then are the ones that worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that awesome? Paul is saying, my hope is not in the deeds of the flesh. My hope is not in the deeds and the things that I would do as though I might somehow perform enough works to achieve salvation. He is saying, my hope is in Christ Jesus. And he says, though, he says, I would have reason to have confidence in the flesh. So Paul is saying, listen, if anybody would have reason to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. And he gives a type of autobiography concerning that. How he was circumcised on the eighth day. How he is from the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee, someone who upheld the law and was zealous for it. So zealous that he persecuted the church and those that were, called themselves Christians. He has touching righteousness. He saw the law and he was blameless as he felt according to it. So he says, listen... 
if anybody had anything to do with, with their own works, it was me before Christ. He says, but now in verse 7, he says, but what things were gained to me, all those things that gave him advantage according to the Jewish custom and the Jewish law, he says, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. He says, I've lost all these things, but I've lost them for the sake of the excellency of Jesus Christ. And so all that I have lost, I count it as rubbish. He said, all the things that I've lost, they were trash anyway, compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. He says, I count them but rubbish that I may win Christ. Listen, Paul saw things in this life as not something to, to, to grapple with, to, to desire after. His concern was Christ. He provides us, therefore, an example for us to model our lives after. He says, all these things, all that I had, and not just possessions, that's not really what he's talking about at all in terms of possessions. He's talking about his standing amongst the Jews. Listen, this was the same guy, Paul, when he was called Saul, who stood and held the coats of those men that stoned Stephen to death. Paul had a reputation amongst these self-righteous Pharisees as being one of them. And he's found Christ as he was there on the roadside. And as he found Christ, he said, I count all of that that I had at once to be trash. That I might instead win Christ. He uses kind of a, a competing language there between losing and winning. He was willing to lose that he might win Christ. And he says in verse 9, "...be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Are you listening to the language that Paul is using? Paul so desired Christ that he didn't desire Christ in his meekness and his humility and all those honorable traits that we would think of Jesus, but Paul desired even the suffering of Christ. Paul wanted to model his life after Jesus even to the extent that if he were to suffer, that he would suffer knowing that Jesus suffered all the more that Paul could be saved. Paul said, my present suffering, which is for a moment, when I'm in the jail cell that Nero has cast me in, when I endure all that I would endure and finally be, be murdered and put to death for my faith in Christ or for my preaching of the gospel, he says, it is but a small thing, this suffering that is for a moment, when I see the suffering of my Lord Jesus on my behalf. He said, so I would desire that I be present with Him in His sufferings, with fellowship of His sufferings, that I would know him then and be conformable unto his death. Why? That I may also know the power of his resurrection. Isn't that cool? 
Paul is saying, listen, if I suffer with Christ, so be it. He suffered for me. If I die, so be it. He died for me. He said, but if Jesus suffered for me, and if Jesus died for me, and He resurrected for my justification, then I trust that I will also share in His resurrection. I don't know about you all, but I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Amen? That's Baptist doctrine. Listen, I'm going to taste of death, but I want you to know when Jesus comes back, I'm going to meet Him in the air. I fully plan on seeing Jesus Christ face to face. I have no doubt in my mind about it. And I am certain that all those that have gone on before, that they're going to burst forth on that great day of the Lord. That's good stuff. So we share in the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12 says, Not as though I have already attained. Listen to this. Either we're already perfect. He says, But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, that I might grab a hold of, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I am trying to lay a hold of Jesus, who has already laid a hold of me. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And I like to call your attention back to verse 13, which is where we'll take our text from today. In the second part of that verse, where he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So as we look at this, first I want to do, we'll look at the forgetting and the reaching here in a moment. But I want to first start by looking at this idea of what's behind and what's before. Now obviously the things that are behind are those things that are in the past, right? Simple enough. But those things that are before, they're not the things that were before, as they, though they were in the past, but they are the things that are before us. The things that are in front of us. The things that lie in store for us. So he says, I'm forgetting those things which are in the past, and I'm reaching forth into those things that are in front of me. Forgetting and reaching forth. Listen to how Paul deals with things that are behind him, things that are in the past. He says that he is forgetting them. Now I want you to look first at the tense of this word forgetting. And I know some of you are saying we have to go to grammar class just for a minute. He says forgetting. It is a present tense verb. He is, if you look back in the original language, it's the same way. Back in the Greek, it's also a present tense verb. He is actively forgetting. He's not forgotten the things that are in the past. Paul is not saying, listen, I've already got this thing figured out. I have forgotten all the things that I did before, all the sins that that I partook in when I was a sinner and all those things. I've forgotten them and those are in the past and I've left them there. So now I can go on and do all these things instead. He said he was actively forgetting. The battle of the sinner who is saved by God's grace. And I want you to listen to my language when I say that. Listen, I've been saved by God's grace. Inwardly, I'm not a sinner anymore. 
God has washed me in the blood of Jesus. He has made me whole. Inwardly, I am spotless and I am clean and I am a saint of God. This way you might be saying, Eric, that's an awful lot to say about yourself. And it is. But I'm not saying it about myself as though I've accomplished anything. I am saying it because He's the one that has accomplished it. But outwardly, I am only a sinner that has been saved by God's grace. And so I still struggle hard with sin. And so do you. And since we all struggle hard with sin, our forgetting the things that are in the past, it is actively done. It's not once and for all forgotten, but we must continually be fighting to forget. To to leave the things that are behind. Paul saw what he did not as some banner to hold up to say, look what all I have done and where God has brought me from. He saw it as something that he was running from. He said, I don't have done all those things and I wish to forget them. He says, I could cling to them. That's what he said in the early part of the chapter. Remember when we read that? He said, but I desire instead to forget them. He said, I want to press towards the high mark of the calling of Jesus. All those things that were in my past. Yeah, somebody could come up to Paul and say, Paul, it's just remarkable that you, the one who used to persecute the church, what all God has brought you from. And Paul would say to them, look to the cross. He'd say, don't look to my past. Just look to Him. Look towards the high mark of the calling of Jesus. He was actively desiring to forget his past. Listen, this is the same Paul who wrote to the Romans and he said, those things that I wish that I would do, those are the things that I don't do. And those things that I wish I wouldn't do, those are the things that I do. Paul saw the struggle of the flesh and he saw it as a battle that he just himself could not win. He ultimately, compl- or ultimately just, just said, he concluded, he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He saw it as something that was at war with him, these two natures, and he desired to forget the sins of the past. The question then is, how do you do that? How do you forget the sins of the past? How can you just forget the past? Now, I don't know about you, but I have not found one of those little blinky things that they had on men in black, which would just completely make you forget things, right? I'm guessing you haven't found one of those either. So how do we leave the past? Well, I mentioned earlier about 2022 not being a year of regrets, but I would desire instead to be a year that also would start with an R, that it would be a year of repentance. That is how you forget the past. We read over in the book of Corinthians, in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he was writing to them concerning some issues that they had. They had some issues where they were tolerating sin. They weren't practicing good church discipline. You remember that? Where he was talking about that they were accommodating sin that was so embarrassing that it wouldn't even be spoken of because it was so just, just gross sin. But not only so, they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. They just, just had all this that they were doing that was wrong. And Paul said he had wrote to them at one point and that they didn't mourn over it, but instead that they boasted about it. The, the Corinthian church had some things messed up. And Paul wrote to them to to admonish them and and to to encourage and to instruct them on how to correct those things and to repent of them. Well, then later on, Paul writes to them again in 2 Corinthians. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he writes about how I believe it was Titus had came, yeah, it was Titus had came to him and had told them about the status and the health of the Corinthian church. And Titus has come to Paul and he reports to Paul about how the Corinthian church has corrected all of those errors and how that they had, had truly went away from all of those things, that they had turned away from the things that they were doing and how much greater they were as a result of it. And so Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and he says, I've rejoiced over the things that Titus has come back and told me. And he says, the reason why I've rejoiced, he said, I knew when I wrote to you that letter that you'd be sorry for a minute. You would feel bad about the things that you would acknowledge that they weren't right. He says, but he was worried that that sorrow, that they're, they're being sorry for those things would just be for a moment. He says, but, he says, having heard from Titus, I have seen instead that your sorrow wasn't after a worldly nature, but that your sorrow was after a godly nature. And Paul said that it is this godly sorrow that works to repentance. You see, normally we hear this verse and we see it applied to salvation, as it should be. But Paul's writing to the church. And he's saying, you were in error and you have been made sorry for these things by my letter. But your being sorrowful over those things wasn't the temporary worldly sorrow that we would see, but it was a sorrow after godliness. And as a result of that, you've been made to repent. Second Corinthians chapter 7, I'll read just a few verses. Verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this self-same thing, listen to this, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, you sorrowed after a godly manner. What carefulness, what diligence it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge or vindication. In all these things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Paul was saying, because you repented, your repentance led to diligence. You became careful concerning the things that you were doing. Listen to me. If you want to know if you've truly repented of your sins, there will be diligence that's exercised in your heart that prevents you from doing the same thing again. Listen, if you repent of sin and then you go right back out and you sin again in the same way that you sinned before, then it's evidence that you did not truly repent. Did you hear me? At home, I hope you say amen. (laughs) If you say to me that you've repented, and then you go out and do the same thing that you did before, you have made yourself to be a liar when you told me that you've repented. You can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. Because I'm telling you the truth. Because if you truly repented, diligence will follow in which you do not desire to make the same sin or to keep sinning in the same manner that you did before. Consider Jesus when He was talking to the woman at the well. This woman at the well, she she was a sinner. 
She, she had a life that was just filled with sin, and she was actively sinning in the moment. She was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And yes, that is still a sin. My grandma used to call that shacking up. It's a sin. And so Jesus calls her out on it. He says, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with right now isn't your husband at all. And the woman says, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know that, that whole account there. And he gets to the end of the account. And you know what Jesus says to her? He says, go, sin no more. See the difference? It's a, a call to stop sinning. Stop sinning. You cannot continue in your sin and have truly repented. I don't want you to look back with regret. <clears throat> Paul didn't look back on things with regret. He looked back with repentance. There's a difference. <clears throat> so look back. Take stock of 2021. Repent of those sins. Repent of those errors. And you will find yourself that you will be cleared as Paul wrote to the Corinthians concerning those sins. I also just realized that when I was giving the account of Jesus, I believe I had my reference wrong. The point remains true. Sin no more. Sin no more. Alright, so we have handled the forgetting. What about the reaching? Paul says that he was reaching. And I love the, the, the visual idea that that carries, that that conveys, that he was reaching for something. Seemed like it was just out of reach, didn't it? Paul says, I've been apprehended by Christ. Christ had laid a hold of him, but he was trying to lay a hold of Christ. And he was reaching out for it, but he just couldn't quite grasp it. Yet he is still reaching out. He says that he was reaching out, reaching forth unto those things which are in front of him, desiring to press towards the mark, to press towards the goal that is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We see later that Paul makes reference. He says that that which I'm striving for, that which I'm desiring after, it's not the corruptible crowns that the world competes for and the trophies and the accolades that the world would desire after. He says, but I am reaching for that which is incorruptible. He was pressing towards the mark and desiring after those things that were the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So the question then is, how do we reach forth? And actually, if you continue reading down here further into the third chapter of Philippians, you'll see that Paul starts to give the answer. And in verse 20, in you at Faith Church, you've heard me uh, kind of quote this verse at different times in the past. One of my favorite statements that's made in the Bible is made in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says that our conversation, that is our citizenship, is in heaven. Paul was reaching forward, reaching to those things which laid in front of him, desiring after the high mark that is the prize of the, or excuse me, towards the mark that is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He counted himself already to be a citizen of a heavenly country. And as a result of that, he sold this world to be nothing that should be meddled with. He didn't find it as something to, to worry about or to grasp with worldly things. He concerned himself instead with the heavenly things. How do we concern ourselves with heavenly things here on earth? 
Well, there are some obvious answers, certainly. We know that we need to, to be a part of a, of a local body. Listen to me, you need to be a part of a local church. You need to belong to a local called out assembly of baptized believers where you can get yourself engaged and you can have your light on the candlestick where you can serve God as He has designed you to serve Him. Listen, if you've been saved by God, God has designed you to serve in the local church. And if you are not serving in the local church, you are outside of the will of God for your life. You need to be serving God in a local church. And you say, well, which church? A sound one, a good one, the best one you can find. You need to do it quick. It's not something to meddle with. Because if you do not have your light on a lampstand, your light is floundering in a world that despises you. And you don't need to meddle with it. You don't need to involve yourself with it. We are citizens of a heavenly country. And so we should concern ourselves with heavenly things. And listen to me. The church is the closest thing to heaven on earth. With all due respect to the state of West Virginia that calls itself almost heaven, the church is the closest thing to heaven on earth. And you need to be a part of the local body. I didn't expect to say all that. I pray the Lord would, would use it for His calls. In addition then, we know of our need to, to, to pray, to, to grow and to spend time with the Lord in conversation and in prayer, but also to spend time with the Lord in the Scriptures. Now, when Paul talks about us being citizens of heaven, he is making reference then to who our fellow citizens are. I am fellow citizens today with all the people that live in the town of New Whiteland where I live. I am fellow citizens with all the people of Johnson County, with the state of Indiana, with the United States of America. That means that people I've never met as far away from me as you can go in Alaska or down to Florida or up to Maine, they're my countrymen. They are my fellow citizens. We can say my fellow Americans, as the president often does, because that's what we are to one another. If our citizenship is in heaven, then I want you to consider for a moment who our countrymen are, who our fellow heavenly citizens are. are. We are fellow citizens with Daniel and with David, with Moses and with Noah, with Matthew, with Mark, with Luke, and with John, with Paul, and with Silas, we could go on and on and on. And seeing that we have these fellow citizens, we do well to spend time with them. Listen to me. Studies have found, listen to this, studies have found that you ultimately will become within 10% in, in attitude and behavior, even, even in your financial situation, you'll become within 10% of your closest friends. Do you know studies have, have found that? You become like those that you involve yourself with. Some of you right now are thinking, I need more rich friends. <laughs> 
But the point that I'm making is that we need to involve ourselves. If, listen, if we want to be more heavenly minded, then we need to spend time with those things that are heavenly minded. First and foremost, that is found in this book. In this book. If you want to be heavenly minded, yet you're not spending time in God's Word, listen to me, your desire is not real and it's not true. If you truly desire to be heavenly minded, then you will spend time with God's instruction manual for life on earth. This book tells you how to get to heaven. Do you know that? It tells you what's going on in heaven. It tells you what's going on here. It tells you what to avoid here to be more like heaven. And it tells you what to do here to be more like heaven. If you want to be heavenly minded, spend time with your fellow countrymen in this book. God will bless you for it. I've probably talked before about how when you're around people who talk a certain way, you start talking like them. You know, when I was a kid, and as probably a lot of kids do, you reach a certain age and you start thinking that you're, you know, you're, you're at a certain age and you want to fit in with people that are using language that they shouldn't be using. And so you'll get around them and you'll start talking like they do. That's the nature of how we respond, isn't it? We'll start picking up phrases that, of the people that are around us and the phrases that they use. I, I, I use the expression man alive a lot. That's the expression that I use when instead of saying darn or darn or something, I say man alive, my son uses that expression. Why? Because he's around me. And he hears me. And he talks like me. That worries me. But that's what we do, isn't it? We become like those that we're around. If you want to be like heaven, if you want to be like Jesus, spend more time with Him. Not just in prayer, but in the Word. Here's where we see it lived out. So do it Do it here. So then, we see this forgetting. We see this reaching. We see these two things that are at odds. They're going different directions. And a lot of times, where do we end up? We end up right here stuck in the middle. That's where Paul found himself a lot. Remember that word forgetting. It's active. He was actively, continually trying to forget. It's almost as you can see Paul where, where sometimes he, he may have found himself where he was over the hump. Where he found himself to just be beyond those sins that, that, that he was trying to forget. And then there was somebody who he used to go around persecuting the church with that he'd run across in the marketplace. And suddenly he's having to forget those things all again. You ever been there? He was in these, in betwixt these two, forgetting and reaching. But you know what Paul ultimately was able to do? We see what he told Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He, he knew that his death was imminent, that he would soon be put to death for preaching the gospel. And here's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. <laughs> Paul said, I'm going to have other countrymen that are going to be there with me. But unto all them also that love is appearing. Maybe you, like me, look back to 2021 and you have some regrets. I want to encourage you Repent of what you need to repent of. 
but then reached forward with hope and a desire to spend more time with Christ, that 2022 is not a year with regrets. I wish you a happy new year. I wish you a year with no regrets. May God bless you for listening to me.